418 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And, uh, you know, we've been trying to get Tuniza Islam on the show for a while, and we finally were able to make the schedules work. I think we had you on a call in at one point not so long ago, didn't we? Did yeah, we not? Just a couple weeks ago, I okay, think. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but you're here in person, in studio, Tuniza Islam. She is a. Let the main streak of A be your alarm clock weekday mornings at 5 with She is a Sioux Falls immigration lawyer and she is involved in the, uh, she's the executive director. We hire people with no experience. We hire people right out of college. She is the executive director of the, I'm sorry, the South Dakota Voices for Peace. I I messed up something there, Tunisia. I I apologize. Thanks for being here. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, you have been in town. We were just talking about this. You are an immigration lawyer, but you moved to Sioux Falls when? 2012. And uh, you went, You came here um, uh, for family reasons, for because your your husband got a job here, uh-huh. and you. But you went to law school at uh, Hamlin. You were saying yes. And uh, graduated when? 2007. Why? Uh, how did you get involved in immigration law exactly? Um, you know, I grew up in an immigrant community. My parents are immigrants from Bangladesh. I was born and raised in Michigan. Um, I used to hear. St- questions and stories about immigration issues my whole life is something that I just felt natural about. I knew I wanted to go to law school after undergrad and getting my master's degree. And so this was just the right opportunity for me to be able to explore that here in Sioux Falls. And so when you came to town, you're like, okay, we're moving to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, (laughs) What why, why did you, what were you thinking when you got here in terms of how you were going to uh, apply your interests and, and your, your yeah. education and skill? Well, you know what? When we moved here, I had just, I would say I had my dream job right out of law school in the Twin Cities. I, I was a complaint investigator for the city of Minneapolis' Civil Rights Department um, and then also a full-time volunteer for a young organization called the Council on American Islamic Relations Minnesota Chapter. So I was working 80 hours a week, going strong. Um, my husband was in medical school at the time, so it worked for us. And then um, I was a new mom when we moved here to Sioux Falls. So I hit the pause button on the career, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, new to town, didn't know a soul here. I didn't have any contacts in my legal network that knew anybody here. So it was an opportunity to kind of reinvent myself. Um, I started just going to conferences that looked interesting. Uh, my master's degree is in, is in diversity leadership, so I'm very interested in diversity inclusion efforts too. Started meeting people, started having discussions, and then I was encouraged to apply for a Bush Fellowship through the Bush Foundation in St. Paul. So a great the, organization, by amazing. the way. Amazing. Had them in. It's it's fantastic what they're doing all across the region. Yeah, it's amazing how they've invested in the Dakotas and Minnesota and what type of um, change that they're bringing to our region because of their investments that they're making. Um, so they invest in people who um, are looking to make change in their communities. And I had written a proposal around trying to figure out how to get immigrant communities more access to legal services. We have a huge access to legal services issue here in South Dakota specifically. Um, so I was awarded the fellowship and very quickly learned that it was not only immigrant communities that didn't have access, but 
pretty much all of our communities um, that were low income to middle income. So I started on this trajectory I never predicted. I started the first legal incubator program um, out of our legal services entity in Sioux Falls, which was a two-year pilot program. And for a lot of different factors, um, we all decided not to continue it. Um, but it was a really amazing opportunity for me to have an idea and to build it and implement it and see it happen. Um, and then I always had my immigration practice on the side. Um, and, what, and I think it's important. Yeah. I, I say you're an immigration lawyer. <laughs> sure. Tanisa Islam, uh, she's an immigration lawyer. What does that mean? Sure. So there's really two different areas of immigration practice. I would say um, there's employment-based immigration. So your client may be someone who is coming on an employment-based visa or you work with a company who's trying to recruit people for jobs. So that's one sphere. The other sphere is family-based and humanitarian. So family-based is if you marry a foreign spouse and you're trying to get him or her over here or if you're a refugee that and you were separated from your family, you're trying to reunite here in the U.S., you're looking to apply for citizenship or a green card, um, and then humanitarian. So that's asylum, pe folks who are looking to apply for asylum um, and other kind of humanitarian-based issues. So I practice family law, or I'm sorry, family and humanitarian-based immigration law. That's very, uh, you must be very busy. It is very busy, and because of all the community activism work that I've started doing, specifically this past January, I've, I've slowed down my practice um, and really uh, started building South Dakota Voices for Peace, which is... Which you are now executive director of. Yeah, just and, recently voted in. And we'll, we'll <laughs> talk about that in just a moment. Sure. I want to I touch a little bit on your impressions. Uh, as you say, when you got here, you had a Bush Fellowship you uh, working in, in the, with the legal incubator, with the legal services community. Um, w after a few months, what were your thoughts about sort of the state of legal services for, uh, I mean, you talked about low-income people, but uh, immigrate, immigrants in particular, were you surprised how limited the services were, or what were your impressions right away? Absolutely, severely limited for immigrant populations specifically, but for low-income folks in general. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, my comparison is the Twin Cities, mm -hmm. which I understand is a much more vibrant legal community. There's just 10 times more lawyers in the state. So they have a very robust legal services program. So when I say legal... And funding. Funding. So when I say legal services, that's access for folks who are 125% below the poverty guidelines. Mm -hmm. that, that's what legal services means in the industry, if you will. Um, and, you know, there's a robust pro bono program for lawyers to be involved with. Um, and I didn't find that here when I came. So I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity to be able to think innovatively and to pitch something really in. Uh, innovative that can impact the community. And that's the opportunity the Bush Fellowship really gave me. Do you think the population growth in that of low income and immigrant communities just outstrip the supply? I mean, just so many more people are moving here that the, the legal community and it's, and we've been talking about a shortage of lawyers in this state. There is a shortage of lawyers in South Dakota, and it's something that we do not talk about often. There's several factors that play into the shortage. We have one law school. Um, 
law school admissions across the country has drastically fallen since the recession of 2008, if you will. My alma mater, Hamlin, actually merged with another law school in the Twin Cities, William Mitchell, because of, of, of this factor. So here in South Dakota, we have one law school, um, the bar passage rate. So we all have to take a bar exam to be able to be licensed in the state that we want to practice in. So here in South Dakota has severely fallen as well. Um, and there's a huge shortage of attorneys in rural areas. Mm -hmm. So the state bar um, has invested heavily in recruiting lawyers to go out into rural communities. Um, so there's just, uh, and our legal population, our lawyer population is increasingly on the retirement end, mm -hmm. um, and there's not enough new lawyers coming into the state. So all of these really compound um, how legal services needs are being met. Uh, we only have two legal services entities in our state, which is East River here in mm -hmm. Sioux Falls and Dakota Plains, which is West River. And there's just not enough um, federal money that is going into these entities or local state. I think, um, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that South Dakota is one of the only states that does not fund legal services from a state level. And this has been a battle for a long way before I got here. So it was time to think innovatively and mm. out of the box. There was a good opportunity for you. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to come right back after the news with Mr. Dan Peters and talk more with Tanisa Islam, who is recently taken over as executive director of the South Dakota, I'm sorry, the South Dakota Voices for Peace and is an immigration lawyer. We'll continue that discussion right after these commercials. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 434 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we return to our conversation with Tanisa Islam. She is a Sioux Falls immigration lawyer, but she most recently was uh, named the executive director of the South Dakota Voices for Peace. Uh, Tanisa, first of all, tell us about the origins of South Dakota Voices for Peace, because this is a recently uh, put together organization, correct? Yeah, we actually just incorporated in October officially. Um, so this organization really grew out of the amazingly beautiful coalition that came together to fight Islamophobic and anti-immigrant and refugee resolutions and bills that we saw in Pierre in January of 2017. Remind some people about what what specific issue you, you were talking about. Sure. So there was um, SB 124, which um, directly impacted Lutheran Social Services. Um, and there, uh, it was really a call to end the refugee resettlement program. So that was the anti-refugee bill. And then there were two what um, we viewed as Islamophobic and anti-refugee resolutions. So resolutions don't have the effect of law, but as one senator told me, that they are the building blocks for the legislature to gauge you know, how people are feeling so that they can propose bills in the near future. Um, one was called uh, basically an anti-care resolution, Council on American Islamic uh, Council on Isla American Islamic Relations, which I was the civil rights director for in the Minnesota chapter. So there's no chapter here, um, but they were basically asking government agencies and law enforcement not to work with care. 
Um, and so I, I, during my testimony, said, look, there's no chapter here, so if we just took out care and put Muslims in there instead, and are you asking, is this resolution asking law enforcement and government agencies not to work with Muslim communities? And our biggest win um, out of that process was we had the Fraternal Order of Police um, sign on and say that they were completely opposed to politicizing their function to serve and protect all communities. Um, and the Fraternal Order of Police's chair uh, called in and testified with a scathing statement against those who put the resolution together. And then a couple of weeks later, we saw another resolution that basically was an end to the refugee resettlement program again, but it was very vitriolic. Um, it had these very racist, Islamophobic cultural practice in the language. Um, you know, the first resolution, they weren't ready for us, if you will. My understanding is that... They didn't think anybody was going to show no, up. No, because they never have. My understanding is that immigrants, refugees, and our allies have never showed up to be their own voice. Um, we've had wonderful allies that have done that work um, up until 2017, but immigrants and refugees and Muslims have never showed up to be their own voice. And so that was very powerful. Um, and the, But they were ready for us, the second resolution. Um, they had about an hour and a half testimony for their side, the proponent side for the resolution. They had an expert witness call. Who was, uh, who was driving this? Um, the main sponsor of the 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 latest resolution, which was the anti-refugee resettlement, uh, was Neil Tapio and several other co-sponsors of the resolution. The first one was Stace Nelson, uh, both senators of our state. Um, so when you talk to them, yeah. so you show up in peer, uh -huh. you know, and you are well-informed, well-educated, and not afraid. What were those conversations like? I... Um, never directly spoke to either Stace Nelson uh, or Neil Tapio beforehand. Neil Tapio approached me afterwards because the resolution... After, this was in committee? This was in the Senate State Affairs Committee. Okay. Um, the second resolution, which a Senator Tapio sponsored, was the main sponsor of, did pass out of committee because they hoghoused uh, the resolution and made it a commendation to President Trump's efforts against the war on Islamic terrorism, which we also oppose um, the commingling of the word Islamic and terrorism. And so he came, when we were devastated by going out of committee, we were outside in the, in the hallway and he approached um, me and I was standing next to Betty Oldenkamp, who is the CEO of Lutheran Social Services. And a former high-level state official. Yes. And how was that conversation? He just came up to us and said, um, he said, don't quote me on exactly the verbiage, but he said something akin to, this is great, this is a democratic process, and you need to stop calling this hate. And I looked at him and I said, Senator, as long as you associate Islam, Muslims, immigrants, and refugees with these vitriolic, abhorrent, medieval practices to instill fear into our communities, I will continue to call it hate. Um, and he walked away. And that was my only interaction with Senator Tapio. So uh, we're talking with Tanisa Islam. She is the executive director of the South Dakota Voices for Peace, which is recently incorporated and uh, grew out of an effort to fight back against 
the 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 anti uh, or Islamophobic, we'll just say that um, legislation, and you'll be back in 2018. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to predict what's going to happen. Resolutions can be popped in and out whenever. Um, so far, the preview of the bills that are coming down the pike in January have not indicated anything anti-refugee or anti-Muslim or Islam. Um, but we're ready this year. Last year, it was very organic, and we had amazing people come together. We had military people who have served in the Middle East come and testify about how this scapegoating Muslims in South Dakota is not the way to go. Um, it was just really powerful, and it's something that our coalition knew that we needed to keep. We've had over 24 Islamophobic speakers come to our state um, as importing their hate into what I believe are otherwise good, hardworking, hard neighborly people in our state. Um, since January, and we've been tracking that and kind of trying to figure out. There's people out there, I don't know what's going I mean, I don't know that much about sure. the culture of the uh, anti-Islamic speakers, but it, it seems like there's this network now of people who, like, make it their job yep. they to basically travel around the country. Actually, $57 million worth of a network. Um, the Center for American Progress and several other think tanks and universities have now uncovered this network on a national level. And so we have seen, it's called the Islamophobic Network. You can check it out on Fear Inc. 2.0. There's an interactive map of think tanks, um, media outlets, grassroots organizations, um, funders. And it's not very big, but $57 million has been pumped into this network since 2005. Um, and we're seeing all of these heavy hitters have some sort of influence or impact here, right here in South Dakota. What do you say to people who are legitimately, for whatever reason, afraid? So sure. we've, you know, since for the last 20 some years mm -hmm. been involved in military incursions based on what we perceive as uh, religious based or culturally based uh, violence. Um, and how do you engage people one-on-one -on -one who may be good Christian people mm -hmm. who just have a fear of Islam? Sure. You know, that's, that's the golden question, right? Um, I think South Dakota is prime for the Islamophobic network because there are not enough Muslims to be in every corner of the state. So it's really easy to be scared of what you don't see when it's something not human. If the only thing you're seeing is what's on TV um, or the news program that you listen to that vilifies Muslims and Islam every day in and out, then of course you're going to be scared about that. So that's really the purpose of this organization is to provide accurate information, to provide other information. Because, listen, we can't compete against $57 million. But what we can do is provide a platform for accurate information to say, hey, look, this is actually what Sharia law is, or this is actually what we believe as Muslims. This is actually what we are contributing to the state. Um, and I think people who are genuinely scared need to do some self-reflection, too, on why. You know, usually um, people say, oh, Tunisia, I know you. You're an American Muslim, and I'm not scared of you. Um, and I always say I'm not the exception to the rule. I'm the norm. You know, I'm an American Muslim. I, 
you know, I have two kids. My concerns are the same as everybody who has kids. I want a safe place to live. I want um, a safe neighborhood. I want good education and health care for my family and my neighbors. Those are all the same. Yeah. You grew up in Michigan. You went to school in Minnesota, and now you live in South Dakota. I'm a Midwest girl. <laughs> this is about as west as I'm going to get, though, I think. What are your thoughts on green bean casserole? <laughs> now, we'll get back to that oh, with Tanisa Islam right after this message. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 447 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we return to our conversation with Tanisa Islam. She is the freshly minted <laughs> executive director of the South Dakota Voices for Peace, and they're involved in fighting back. Uh, fighting's a wrong word. Trying to spread education and information about... Uh, Actually, Patrick, I we use the word fight, Islamophobia. Fight? We do, because okay. you know what? This is a um, kind of my internal introspection that I had post-election this year. Uh, the majority of my life I've been building bridges, doing interfaith work, doing presentations on Islam 101, what it means to be an American Muslim. And I think a lot of us kind of had a, a pause and saying, what was that work worth? You know, what just happened with the election? Um, and I think many of us focus so much on love and building bridges that we forgot that hate actually does exist in our community and fear and hate kind of go hand in hand, right, as we see it evolving today. Um, and so the strategy to fight hate is very different from loving your neighbor and building community. And I think for me personally, on a personal level, we need to, to work on all ends of that continuum, not just loving the neighbor, but also fighting hate. Are you ever afraid? Yeah. Personally? Unfortunately, um, I've been pretty naive about it, but now that I have a young family, um, I've gotten some specific threats myself um, in the last couple of months, actually. So people are telling me to be a little bit more vigilant. Um, so, but I don't live in fear. I've never operated in fear, so I, I don't even understand that mentality. You know, folks who are scared or or fearful of what's coming, or who people are, or what people think. I, I, I can't wrap my brain around that, that. Um, but I, I will not be silenced into what I, what I believe, what our coalition believes, what our organization believes, because at the end of the day, I think the real purpose of our organization ex is to expose the smokescreen for hate, if you will, because I think Every day, hardworking people are going to these talks or they're listening to leaders or politicians, and they don't understand how it's really a dog whistle for hate. Um, and to be able to dissect that for our neighbors and say, actually, this is why this phrase, Islamic terrorism, is Islamophobic, because not all Muslims are terrorists, and you can't associate the two, right? And this is why saying Sharia law is taking over our Constitution is actually false, and let's talk about that for just a minute, because this is related. You, uh, your group, the uh, South Dakota Voices for Peace, were very critical of Chantal Krebs, current Secretary of State and candidate for the uh, our congressional seat, um, about an association she made, an endorsement that she took from, I believe, the Secretary of State from Kansas, right? Isn't that who that is? That's correct. And what's the person's Chris name? Chris Kobach. And why is that? Why were you critical of that endorsement? Chris Kobach is part of that Islamophobic network. 
that we just talked about previously about this $57 million industry. If you look at Chris Kroback's history, he is a mastermind of the Show Me Your Papers Arizona law, which basically criminalized all brown and dark-skinned people, that we had to prove that we were American citizens, which has never happened in any other state in our union, um, which the Supreme Court said was a no-go, many provisions of that. Chris Kobach actually was the mastermind of our first Muslim registry. Newsflash, there is a Muslim registry that occurred um, post 9-11 called Nasir's, N-S-E-E-R-S. Of course, those folks are going to say it's not a Muslim registry. They were just documenting young single men from Middle Eastern countries. Again, we that's the purpose of our organization is, say, is to show you that that's a smokescreen for a Muslim registry. In fact, so and and it goes the list goes on and on and on with Chris Crowback. He's under several lawsuits for several unconstitutional things that he's. Um, put together. And um, he was here. He was here in our state. He um, works for the Trump administration. He's actually um, on the voter fraud commission. Um, so interestingly enough, I believe uh, Ms. Krebs did not give over voter information, but then later said that it would be the same as any information request and that she would hand it over for $2,500. So this was the guy she handed that stuff over to if he paid for it. I and don't what know. was her response when you were saying, look, what are you doing? Well, it was really strange because the Argus had a story where it was actually Senator Neil Tapio from Watertown who was the author of that resolution that we talked about. All and it, he... He basically egged Chantal Krebs on and said, Chris Krobeck should actually be endorsing me because I believe in a Muslim registry. Do you, Krebs, believe in a Muslim registry too? And she took the bait. Yeah. She took the bait. Because Neil is also now a candidate for that congressional seat. Though Is he? Did he announce? I, you know what? The, I take that back. I'm not even sure what he's doing. <laughs> but he is sort of an avow, avowed anti-Muslim, yes. anti-Islamic. He's made that clear. Yeah, there's no... Bones about he believes yeah. Sharia law has taken over the country. Yes. He's told me that personally. Okay. Which was the end of the conversation. Got it. But the, but, but I didn't understand where all that was coming from. And so what is your sense of our con- two congressional, main congressional candidates, Dusty Johnson and Chantel Krebs are running for Congress for on the Republican side. What is your sense of what their thoughts are on this? They're pandering to their base. I mean, it's clear, right? The base, the Trump base, vilifies Muslims in Islam. If you look at the network, the map, just click on the faces. You'll see who all these people are, how they have all of their hands into the policies that are being developed and implemented in the Trump administration. Aren't we just being prudent, Tanisa, that, you know, we're living in a very difficult time and, yeah, not every... uh, Muslim is a terrorist, but, you know, gosh, the terrorists are coming from Muslim nations, so we got to protect ourselves. What's your response to that? Because that's what people think. That's what people believe, but it's not true. Why is it not true? It's not true because the majority of um, mass killings that have occurred here in the United States are by U.S.-born gun holders. That's the fact. Not necessarily... A foreign-born. And, and not of, of all different faiths. People of have, all faiths. Yes. I mean, we've, we've very quickly forgotten Dylan Roof walking into our church, 
praying with people and then shooting all of the African-American parishioners inside the church. Mm -hmm. And then the incident in Texas, that Mm -hmm. was in a church Mm -hmm. with a white male. And to say that all white male Christian right wingers with guns are going to kill people isn't right either. It's not right. I don't believe that. And so I, I ask that people be able to take a step back and ask why they're willing to make that blanket rule for Muslims, but not for someone who looks like them, a white male Christian or a white Christian who are doing these things. So what's on, you're going, you're going to be involved in the legislature. What else is on your horizon? You're obviously going to be very involved going forward. Yeah, we're, we're developing a lot of really proactive strategies. Um, We'd love to share stories of our vibrant immigrant, refugee and Muslim communities um, we'd love to do more presentations in the community about what Islamophobia is, how this network is having influence on our state, and influence from top down. I mean, we have folks who are running for our congressional seat, folks who are running for governor, folks who are running for our state legislator that are using Islamophobia as their platform to garner votes. I mean, that that to me is, that's what shows shocking um, and that's what needs to be revealed to our everyday neighbors. Very quickly, how if I want to learn more about uh, the South Dakota Voices for Peace, how do I do that? Sure. We have a website, sdvfpeace.org. Um, we also have a Facebook page. Um, and sign up to, for our action alerts as we get ready for a legislative session and stay involved. Um, if you see or hear of an Islamophobic speaker coming to your community, please let us know. That's what we're tracking right now. Tanisa Islam, she is executive director of the, the South Dakota Voices for Peace, and you'll be hearing more from her, I'm sure, as the legislature gets started. Tanisa, thanks for coming down to the studio today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO.